Welcome to another week of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This week's study is sections 137 and 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, for time's sake, uh, I'm gonna. there will not be an overview. I'm going to just d- dive into section 137, then I'll have a separate uh, episode for section 138. Uh, these sections are together, though, for a reason in my mind. They both deal with life after death, uh, the spirit world, and what... Uh, how we are judged and what becomes of us. Um, and even though they were given about a hundred years apart, uh, they, in my mind, r- truly do belong together. Section 137, in fact, was not originally in the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, it was received by the Prophet Joseph Smith as a vision the Prophet Joseph r- received in uh, early 1836. And it was not until uh, 1976, that it was even part of the standard works. Uh, originally, it was placed in the Pearl of Great Price, um, and then in 1979, it was de- uh, determined that it would become Section 137 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and so then in the 1981 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants of the standard works, it was printed as such, but it was not there originally. Um, but as you study this week, I hope that you will see the importance of this revelation, um, the truths that it contains, and then especially as you study sections 137 and 138 together. Um, and so section 137 uh, was received by the Prophet Joseph in Kirtland, Ohio. Um, the brethren had been meeting. The um, patriarch of the church, Joseph Smith Sr., uh, gives Joseph a blessing. Um, many of the brethren are anointed. Uh, at this time, uh, so there's, they go through, um, an ordinance and they're prepared and their minds are prepared. And many of the brethren also see a vision, uh, and see the same vision with Joseph at this time. So the heavens open and Joseph, I mean, the first verse is pretty powerful, even that the heavens were open and he says, I beheld the celestial kingdom of God and the glory of thereof. And so this is, I mean, imagine that that's, that's the vision. He's seeing the celestial kingdom. And, um, what is interesting to him is that he sees Adam and he sees Abraham and, uh, then he sees his father and mother, who are still alive at this time. And then he sees his brother Alvin. And why that's interesting to him, and he even says that he marveled. Now, seeing Adam and Abraham made sense to him. Seeing his mother and father made sense to him because they were there. They had accepted the gospel. They had been baptized. Uh, the prevailing thought in Christianity at this time. And again, the church isn't in a vacuum. There's not, this isn't just happening isolated from everywhere else. There are, there is Christianity at large. There's world events. Um, and people who are joining the church are bringing some preconceived notions uh, from Christianity at large. And the prevailing thought at the time was no baptism, no acceptance of Jesus in life, no heaven. Um, and it's something that had bothered Joseph for a long time. It's something that, uh, troubled him deeply when his brother Alvin died. Uh, but 
here in this vision, those those questions, those concerns are answered. He sees his brother Alvin and he says, well, how is it? He wonders to himself in amazement, how is this possible? And then the voice of the Lord answers his question. All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. Also, all that shall die henceforth without a knowledge of it, who would have received it with all their hearts, shall be heirs of that kingdom. For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. The Lord is not a respecter of persons. And that means that, I mean, it means many things. But one of the things it means is that he can't be a respecter of mortal time and circumstances. And so the Lord in this revelation says, look, if they died before the gospel was restored, but they would have received it, then then I'll judge them in that way. If they die after the gospel was restored, but they never had a chance to receive it, but they would have had they received had they given been given that opportunity, then I'll judge them based on that. And here we learn a, a, a basic truth, and it's and I'm not going to say simple because I feel that's maybe the wrong, but basic and powerful truth, and that is that the Lord judges according to the desire of our hearts to our works and according to the desire of our hearts, those things together. Men, we, we only see the end result of someone's actions. And we, we snap to judgments based on like, oh, they did X and it led to Y. That was good or bad. But we don't see all of the millions of tiny decisions that go on in their own mind that led up to that. We don't see their intent. We don't see the way that they were raised or the things that they had maybe been taught or their experiences that led them to thinking this way, which led them to this decision, which led them to thinking this way, which led them to this decision and this decision and this decision, which led them to the X decision that we saw and the Y result that we saw. But God does see all of that. God does not judge remotely in the way that we are tempted to judge. President Oak said, The desire of our hearts will be an important consideration in the final judgment. Alma taught that God granteth unto men according to their desire, whether it be unto death or unto life, according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation or unto destruction. Yea, he that knoweth good and evil, to him it is given according to his desires. That is a sobering teaching, but it is also a gratifying one. It means that when we have done all that we can, our desires will carry us the rest of the way. It also means that if our desires are right, we can be forgiven for the mistakes we will inevitably make as we tarry, as we try to carry those desires into effect. What a comfort for our feelings of inadequacy. However, we should not assume that the desire of our hearts can be a substitute for our for an ordinance of the gospel. Consider the words of the Lord in the commanding two gospel ordinances. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In respect to the three degrees of the celestial glory, modern revelation states, in order to obtain the highest, a man must must enter into the order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. No exception is implied in these commandments or authorized elsewhere in Scripture. In the justice and mercy of God, these rigid commands pertaining to essential ordinances are tempered by divine authorization to perform those ordinances by proxy for those who do not have them performed in this life. Thus, a person in the spirit world who so desires is credited with participating in the ordinance, just as if he or she had done so personally. In this manner, through the loving service of living proxies, departed spirits are also rewarded for their des- for the desires of their hearts. And I want to kind of conclude with this thought. 
the Lord is merciful and just. The Lord gives Joseph this revelation in 1836. It's not until four years later that the prophet Joseph is publicly preaching and teaching about uh, baptisms for the dead. But they're connected. But the Lord teaches us line upon line and precept upon precept. And he gives us what we're able to understand and then he builds on that. And that's even, look, look at, strip that back and look at what does that mean? What that means is that we, we, we can be in our process and our journey and someone else is in a different part of their journey. And as they make a decision, we don't know where they are in their journey. We don't know what they've been given. We don't know what understanding they have, let alone the desires of their hearts. And so when we're commanded not to judge, it's because the Lord sees these things. The Lord sees all and knows all. And so he can fairly and accurately and mercifully and justly judge. We, we are commanded not to judge in part because we can't. We are incapable of doing it appropriately. But I wanted to leave, leave you this thought of, of this line upon line that this 1836 revelation was later followed years later with further revelation about baptism for the dead and ordinances for the dead. And as you ponder upon that, and as you continue into section 138, um, I, I hope you'll see how that, that connects to the, the remainder of this week's study. Uh, join me next episode as we discuss section 138. Talk to you soon.